Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Yeah, I'm so glad you are here this morning. My name is Liz. I'm one of the pastors here at Life. Um, so thanks for joining us. Um, we just started this series last week in Galatians. So we're moving through the book of Galatians. Um, and last week, uh, Dan talked about how Galatians is this letter written to the people of Galatia. It's a region. It's um, a region where there was a church that Paul planted. So Paul, one of his first missionary journeys was to the region of Galatia. He plants this church and, um, and then he leaves not that long after to go plant more churches. And he, he hears that the church in Galatia has gotten off track. And so he's writing to them because this gospel of grace that he has preached to them um, is coming under attack. So the whole book of Galatians is kind of this, um, uh, almost like this evidence of this gospel is the main message that I preached to you. It is the reason that I planted this church you can't let go of it. You can't get off track. You can't look to another gospel. This is it. And um, so he's almost like has this white hot passion. He almost gets angry uh, a few times. We'll see some of that next week um, where he, he's frustrated that the Galatians, the people in Galatia would look to any other gospel than the gospel of grace that he preached to them. Um, so this is his core mission, his core message, and uh, the reason why it's so important is because it's not a man-made gospel. He talks about that. He says, you know, I didn't get this from other teachers. They didn't, it wasn't passed to me down by human means. It came straight from Jesus himself. So you can read in Acts 9, Paul has an encounter with Jesus himself. He has an encounter with Jesus, and, you know, he's blinded, and he, he comes to convert completely to following Jesus, where before he was completely opposed to Jesus. And in this encounter, Jesus calls him and appoints him, and he says, you're going to be my messenger to other countries, to kings, and to the Jewish people to explain who I am. And so this message, the gospel of grace, comes directly from Jesus to Paul. And so we can trust its integrity because it's not man-made. It is straight from Jesus. <clears throat> um, and so Paul is writing this letter to convince the Galatians of the intense work he has done to maintain this message, this gospel of grace. So we're going to just start <clears throat> in chapter 2. It says, 14 years later, I returned to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas and Titus, my co-workers. And God gave me a clear revelation to go and confer with the other apostles concerning the message of grace I was preaching to the Gentiles. I spoke privately with those who were viewed as senior leaders of the church, wanting to make certain that my labor and ministry for the Messiah had not been based 
on a false understanding of the gospel. So he's prompted by God <clears throat> to go back to Jerusalem, and he's telling the Galatian people, hey, I went back to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders and confer this gospel that I've been preaching. Um, not because he was doubting with it, doubting the message that he received from Jesus, but he wanted to bring unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. He had been preaching to the Gentiles, and he wanted to make sure that this gospel is really the main thing. And so he meets with the leaders <clears throat> to share the gospel that he's been preaching and bring unity. I have a question for you. Have you ever enjoyed something so much like as a kid? And then maybe when you got older as an adult, <clears throat> you know, you kind of don't do that thing anymore because it's too adult-like, right? But maybe, like, uh, somehow it came back around in your adult life and all of a sudden, like, you felt that energy and excitement for that activity. You know, maybe it's like Legos. You got really into building a Lego set and you can remember the joy of um, when you used to do that as a kid. Well, about two years ago, <clears throat> I went to one of those carnival places that they set up like in the parking lot of a school, right? And where there's kind of like some questionable rides and games and you're not quite sure everything's safe, but it's super fun. Um, so we, there was one at our local school and we went as a family and Ellie was I think finally like tall enough, old enough to be able to ride some of the rides. And as a kid, I used to love those carnival places. Um, we had one at my high school every single year. And one of the rides that I loved was that dragon, uh, the classic dragon roller coaster, right? It just kind of goes around in a loop. Um, but as a child, like those like ups and downs felt like, whoo, my tummy would go all the way up into my chest. And it felt like this big deal, you know? Um, so I was, I was kind of like amping it up to Ellie, like, oh, you're going to love it. It's so much fun. I used to love it when I was a kid because she was kind of, kind of nervous. Um, so we got there, and she asked if I could go with her. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll ask them, like, if I can go with them. So I asked the attendant, you know, I said, could I ride this ride? And he kind of gave me that, like, look, like, good luck, lady. <laughs> and so... I go and sit down next to Ellie, and then I realize, like, I don't think I'm going to get out of this ride. Like, they're, you know, between me and Ellie, I'm stuck in here. They're going to have to pry me out. There's a reason why uh, he kind of looked at me sideways that adults can't ride this anymore. But I was committed to making sure Ellie was going to have a good time on this ride. But maybe it, you know, it was secretly a little bit of my own, my own joy there. Um, so anyways, I have a picture here of us. You can, oh, you kind of have to see, but I don't know who's having more fun, me or Ellie, but I was having uh, a great time enjoying this childhood ride once again that I loved um, going on. So we went around and around, and I think she even asked to go again, you know, so we bought some more tickets, and we get, went again, and it was a lot of fun. Um, so similarly, we are never too mature to move away from the gospel. We're never too old for the gospel. Um, you know, sometimes like the gospel, it feels like, oh, that's just like that basic set of ABC beliefs that you believe once you 
turn your life over to Jesus and start following him. It's the thing that helps you enter into the kingdom. But then, you know, we go on to uh, more mature beliefs, right? We can go on to more advanced teachings. And the gospel doesn't have to, to be um, that central anymore to us. But the, the, Paul is saying the gospel is the central message. It's the enduring main thing. We can never move away from the gospel. And the gospel is Christ himself. That's what Paul is saying. The gospel is Christ. It is, it is that Christ died, he, and then he rose again, and he lives in you, and all the benefits of heaven come into your life because Jesus lives in union with you. And it is the treasure of the Christian life. The gospel is the treasure because Jesus is the treasure. And he, he says it's not only the way to enter into the kingdom of God, but it is the way on in the Christian life. That all we really ever need is God's overflowing, abundant grace in Christ. That's all we ever need. And it really becomes the A to Z of the Christian life. It becomes everything in the Christian life. It's the foundation because it is the thing that changes our hearts. It is the power to change our thinking. It is the power to change our communities and really our approach to everything in life. And the reason why this gospel is so central is because it's not human-made. It's not human rules. It's not human religion. It is Christ himself. And we can see this morning through, through the message of Galatians 2 that the gospel brings unity and freedom. That's what it does. It brings unity and freedom. The true gospel, this true gospel that Paul is preaching, the gospel of grace, brings unity and freedom. So it says that Paul has to meet with the leaders secretly because there's some other people that have infiltrated the church that are trying to kind of like spy on the freedom that they have. And they're kind of upset with the freedom that they have. And so they, they have this agenda against the freedom that the gospel of grace brings. And they want to bring the Gentile believers back into the human-made rules, back into um, the religious rules, so that they can, again, keep those customs and you know, be more spiritual and be superior. And, and Paul, he's, so he, he's saying, no, we're done with that. We're done with that. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. It says, even though Titus was a Syrian, they accepted him as a brother without demanding he be first circumcised. So Titus was who he, who he brought with him. <clears throat> And he's talking about the Jewish leaders that he met with, not the, the, the people that infiltrated the meeting. So he says, I met with them privately because false brothers had been secretly smuggled into church meetings, and they were sent to spy on the wonderful freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Their agenda was to bring us back into the bondage of religion. But you must know that we did not submit to their religious shackles, not even for a moment so that we might keep the truth of the gospel of grace unadulterated for you. 
<clears throat> Even those most influential among the brothers were not able to add anything to my message. Who they are before men makes no difference to me, for God is not impressed by their reputations. So they recognized that I was entrusted with taking the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter was entrusted with taking it to the Jews. For the same God who empowered Peter's apostolic ministry to the Jews also flowed through me as an apostle to the Gentiles. When they all recognized this grace operating in my ministry, those who were recognized as influential pillars in the church, Jacob, Peter, and John, extended to Barnabas and me the warmth of Christian fellowship and honored my calling to minister to the Gentiles, even as they were to the Jews. They simply requested one thing of me that I would remember the poor and needy, which was the burden I was already carrying in my heart. So the true gospel of grace demands unity. We see that when Paul, he, he, um, he shares the message that he has been preaching with the Jewish leaders, they say, yes, that is it. We bless that message that you have been preaching, and we're going to extend unity, we're going to extend the fellowship to you, because that's it. You got it. That's the central message. And they didn't require Titus to be circumcised, so they extended the same unity to Titus, and they said, yes, we bless you. You're in. We are all this new Jesus people together. There is unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. So the true gospel brings unity. The gospel is the good news that God intervened on behalf of humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. That's just one working definition of how you could describe the gospel. The fact that God intervened on behalf of humanity through Jesus. So it's all about Jesus and Jesus coming to our rescue. Because we are actually in such a hopeless um, situation. With the sin and uh, the evil that's in our world and in our own hearts, we actually, the only way out of that whole mess is a complete rescue. And that's what God does. He intervenes on behalf of humanity. He intervenes on behalf of the mess that we are in so that we can have a relationship with Jesus and we can follow him and we can live in unity with him. We get all the benefits of Jesus right in our hearts. And I, I love in Colossians, Paul does a really good job of kind of just like, just, just in a nutshell, describing this intervention, this good news for us. It says, even though you were once distant from him, that is God, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment between you and Father God. For he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. And in, if indeed you continue to advance in faith, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon, never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you believed in. And this is the glorious news I preached all over the world. That you now get to come fully into his presence, and you are 
What does it say? I love what it says. It says you are holy, flawless, and restored. That's your identity now. Once you were distant, living in the shadows, but now you are holy, flawless, and restored. And I, I think uh, you know, Paul is saying not only this is how you get into the kingdom, but this is how you advance in your faith. It says, don't ever be shaken from this foundation and this hope. This is how you continue to advance in your faith, that there's nothing between you and God. You stand fully in his presence, flawless, holy, and restored. I think we can get in the way of growing in the gospel. Ourselves, we can get in the way of growing in the gospel because we like to be the rescuers of our own story. We don't like God to be the rescuer of our story. We want to be the rescuers of our own story. We like to be the hero. We like to pat ourselves on the back for our own, our own efforts. And, you know, the world preaches the gospel of self. That really, if you just grab a hold of these things or do these things, you can live your best life. And we all buy into it, right? We buy into the gospel of success or the gospel of materialism or our own egos or moralism, whatever we can do to be our own heroes. You know, the, the self-help industry is about a $13 billion industry in and of itself. Um, and admittedly, I have a lot of self-help books. You know, how I can be a better parent, how I can be a better leader, how I can be a better spouse. If I could read a book to just like get rid of the problems in my life, that's my bent. My bent is to just help my own self through my own resources of reading a book or whatever, and I can just get better at that thing, and now that problem can go away, and I don't need the power of Jesus anymore because I just became my own hero. Now, I mean, it doesn't, you know, you don't all think, you can't all think that thought when you're doing it, but sometimes I will be in the middle of a book and be like, you know what, this is not good for me. I'm putting this down because I'm just, I'm pursuing my own efforts. I'm pursuing just my own striving um, and production to produce the goodness inside of me that Jesus has already done. And I just need to rest in him and I just need to sit with his grace and his movement in my moment-by-moment moment life. Life in union with Jesus is what the gospel of grace is all about, that we get to live our lives in him. And there's no amount of religion or irreligion that is going to save us. We can't earn our approval in God, and we can't incur disapproval that will take us away from God. Neither Those are just two ditches that take us away from the grace of Jesus. We come through grace, and we continue on through grace in Jesus. And that is something that Paul is saying we have to circle back to and back to and back to, because that's the foundation of our faith. And so the second part of Galatians 2 is Paul confronting Peter publicly 
to his face, he's, he's not shy about his, uh, his confrontations here. Um, for, because uh, Peter is living a double-faced life. He's letting go of this grace foundation. And he catches Peter doing the very thing that he's working so hard to get rid of, of, of leveling the playing field between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's saying, there is no super Christian. We're all the same. The gospel of grace is the great equalizer. Everyone comes on the same playing field. And, and so he, he's very hard, hard with Peter to, to turn away from the behavior. He's like, we don't do this anymore, Peter. You got to stop. So it says in verse 11, it says, When Peter visited Antioch, he caused the believers to stumble over his behavior. So I confronted him to his face. And he enjoyed eating with the Gentile believers who didn't keep the Jewish customs up until the time Jacob's Jewish friends arrived from Jerusalem. When he saw them, he withdrew from his Gentile friends, fearing how it would look to them if he ate with Gentile believers. And so, because of Peter's hypocrisy, many other Jewish believers followed suit, refusing to eat with Gentile believers. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocritical behavior. So, you know, he, he's like enjoying his freedom, eating with the Gentiles, enjoying the gospel freedom, until... He, he kind of has to save face when his other Jewish friends come to town. And then he ditches the Gentiles and says, oh, no, I want to I save face and I want to look good, right? I want to keep my ego and I want to look good, and so I'm, I'm not going to eat with them anymore. And they didn't eat together as kind of that distinction between the children of God and sinners. Gentiles were the sinners, the Jews were the children of God. And so there was that distinction, that racial and social barrier that these people don't eat with these people, that they're making those distinctions. And Paul is saying, Peter, the gospel of grace has no barriers. We aren't going to live like that anymore. The gospel demands unity. God doesn't show favoritism anymore. The, the mark of being a Christian is Jesus. That is the new family of faith. The gospel says you are free. You are free. You, it doesn't demand circumcision anymore. There isn't us and them anymore. There isn't eating practices. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus formed in us is the mark of who we are. And the, the playing field is level. It is all even because it's all grace. It's all grace. We are united. And, and Peter and Paul have the same mission. Peter is bringing it to the Jews, and Paul is bringing it to the Gentiles. But he is saying, don't stray away from this central message. Otherwise, all we are working for is in vain if we aren't united. Because that's the true gospel. It brings unity and freedom. There's no more racial and social barriers to extending this gospel to everyone. So he's bold with Peter. He's telling him that the table is open to everyone. Everyone can receive God's favor and his love and his transformation. 
I love what Phil Strout, he's the, the former national director of the Vineyard, says um, about this welcoming gospel. He says, the gospel forms a circle that welcomes everybody to join in. Whoever may come, no matter the shade of our skin or any of other differences, we are all welcome to move toward the ever open arms of Jesus. Imagine it because it's true. People from every imaginable culture, every imaginable ideology, every imaginable religion, and every imaginable construct of society are welcome. And this is the power of the gospel. There is no one who is not welcomed home. There's no one who's not welcomed home. Now, Paul is also aware that the more he shares this gospel of grace, the more he says, you are free in Jesus, that people will say, well, great, we can just live however we want then. But he says, no, you know, I died to the law and I died to religion and I died to self-effort so that I could live in God. Not so that I could live however I want, but so that I could live in God. That's the place of deepest freedom, living in God. And that's, that's the way he lives his life, this moment-by-moment moment dependency on God. If God tells him to go here, he goes there. If God tells him to do this, he does that. The end goal of our freedom is living in God. That's the, the daily expression of the God life flowing into us and flowing out of us towards other people. And it's not by self-effort that that happens. It's really by the power of Jesus, the union with Jesus. It's hard sometimes for our brains to wrap our minds around that because we just, we're so conditioned to self-effort. We're so conditioned to just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and us doing it. But it's Jesus. It's the divine work that he does in our hearts of transformation. And what we do is we say yes to it. Our yes is what like, makes the momentum of transformation go forward. It's just our yes. It's our yes. And the gospel transformation is set in motion. So to sum up um, Galatians, this is what Paul says about his, his dying to the law, his dying to his old self. In verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. My old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. So that is why I don't view God's grace as something peripheral. For if keeping the law could release God's righteousness to us, then Christ would have died for nothing. So, so Paul dies to the law so that he can live in God. And he knows, like, the law shows us that we're completely incapable of keeping it because no one can keep the law perfectly. So you, he's co-crucified co with the law and self-effort. He dies to his self-effort man so that he can have a new identity in Jesus. 
He's made perfect in Jesus. All his murdering ways have now been made perfect in Jesus. Paul himself is holy, flawless, and restored, and so are you when you say yes to Jesus. So just to wrap up, there I have a few examples just of some of the treasures that we receive of this God life in Jesus. Human beings have a disease, sin, for which Jesus is the only cure. The heart can be transformed from one way of being to another. The mind can be renewed, and old habits and patterns can be broken. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit and given power to live life through all circumstances. And we can become people for whom love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are gifts and traits. Spoiler alert, we'll read that in Galatians 5. Relationships can be restored by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be healed of sickness and delivered from demonic oppression. We can know what it's like to be free, loved, and accepted on the inside without needing approval from the world around us to fill that need. We can be transformed people who go on to transform the world. And we can be people who always carry this hope and this message of good news, Jesus, anywhere and everywhere, all the time. Those are just some of the treasures that we have in Jesus. So two, two practical tips as, as we close. Um, where Have there been times where you feel like you've, you fall straight into the self-effort trap? Where you have to, to work harder, do more, whatever it is. All the, the effort that you might put in and not living freely in God. I mean, I don't know where, you know, that's for you to talk about and have Holy Spirit reveal in your own heart. Like, where do you fall into that self-effort trap of just trying to rescue your own self with your own efforts out of, whatever painful circumstances or anything. And secondly, where is the message of the gospel touching your heart this morning? So maybe it's from that list that I um, just read through. Like, man, I, I need that expression of the gospel in my life today. I have gotten away from that, but that's where my heart really needs. Jesus this morning because it's available. The abundance of Jesus' grace and freedom is here. And he says, don't go far away from the gospel foundation. Stay right close to it because that's our way in and that's our way on. So where do you feel that prick in your heart about the gospel this morning? Um, we are actually going to take communion together before we head into worship. So if you don't have a little cup, um, you can raise your hand and somebody will get you one. 
But as I was... <clears throat> so we take communion at the first of each month. And as I was, you know, preparing my sermon this week and thinking about the gospel and the, the barriers against living in the gospel, the, self, the self-effort gospel, I, I kind of had... Um, just like this picture with Jesus. Jesus took me to like a, a water, like a river or stream or something. And he was like, Liz, imagine that I'm baptizing you. Go through the motions of your baptism with me. Imagine that I'm baptizing you. And just like Paul, imagine me, I'm putting you in the water. I'm baptizing you in my name and in the Father and the Holy Spirit. And you're dying to that self-effort. You're dying to try to make it all happen yourself. And I'm putting you under, Liz, and now I'm taking you back up. And you're, you're, you're being reformed in me. You're rising again in life with me, union with me. That's it. That's all you have to do. And, you know, so that... That's part of what we remember when we take the blood and the bread. We remember Jesus' death and what we die to in our own self, and our own flesh, and then what we are raised with in his new life. So, I mean, if that's helpful for you, I would just have you imagine in your mind, um, if you can remember when you were baptized, And if you can't, that you can reimagine it fresh again right now. But imagine Jesus taking you to a place, a body of water, and he's standing with you in that water. And he is saying, I baptize you, whatever, you know, say your name. I baptize you in my name and in the Father and in the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying you are dead to whatever is holding you back. And imagine that thing going into the water and dying. Because it died with Christ. And then he is raising you back up out of that water. He grabs you and he pulls you back up and he pulls you close to himself. And imagine him just hugging you and holding you tight and saying, you are mine. Can I raise you? a new life in me. And you live in union with me. That's the power of this bread and juice. So the, the same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. And then he distributed his disciples and said, take and eat your fill. It's my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you can take wafer. cup of wine 
after supper and said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're retelling the story and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So drink. Jesus, we are so thankful for your rescue. We're so thankful for everything that you did to just bring us to, into new life with you. The old things can die away. The old things can be co-crucified with you, buried with you in the ground. And our new life can be lived out each and every day. We're so thankful for your blood. We're so thankful for your body. So God, give us the unity and the freedom to just live with you, to live in full celebration and union with you. Let us not hold back the barriers any longer of self-effort and the flesh or our egos or whatever take up space. Jesus, you take up space. You take up the most space in us. Let us live like that. So, God, we love you and we're thankful for you this morning. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.